I didn't want the big bottle just because it was the biggest one. I couldn't remember what it was, but it was frankincense and myrrh. And I remembered I wanted that particular scent. And I don't even remember all now that it stands for, but I think it's suffering too, frankincense and myrrh. Yeah, suffering is it's kind of symbolic of what Jesus accomplished. And um, I was sitting there thinking, oh Lord, if this cup could pass, uh, but if not, maybe if you just divinely give my husband a word and I could sit down. <laughs> I could sit down and enjoy it. Except it wasn't Saturday, it wasn't yesterday, it was Friday night when uh, we were going to bed and we have, we have a guest room, thankfully, so if one of us has a fever, we go in the, the other one goes in the other room, you know, so we don't catch what each other has. And as I was in there, the Lord was getting my attention. He said, hello. <laughs> And I'm saying, oh, I'm going to bed now, Lord. And he said, well, I just have to tell you something. You're going to preach on Sunday. So just get ready for it and gear up. So here I am, and, well, it is what it is. <laughs> but last week I opened with some scriptures from Hebrews about the better sacrifice that Jesus made. And so I'm going to talk today about some of the aspects of the atonement. There are things that Jesus did, and I think just in our day-to-day -day life, and we can get busy, and we don't remember, we don't always remember what he did for us, and so we don't live in a way that shows that we remember what he did and what he provided, so if it's boring, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know how God's word can be boring. Mine could be, but all I, when I think about Easter, I just think of all the songs. We sing them every day. But I was just walking around my house, and I'm thinking, some old ones, like, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the king of glory died, whew, you could just spend a day there. Or I serve a risen savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is with me, whatever men may say. If they don't know him, they don't know. And then the song that Keith Green did at his wife wrote, There is a Redeemer. Jesus Christ, God's Son, I love that song. Whew. And then the other one they did, hear the bells ringing, they're singing, that you can be born again. I remember we had a sunrise service one at a church many years ago, and we were standing out on a dock on this lake, and we were singing that song. It was just a precious Easter memory. Or another one, when I think about the Lord, how he saved me, how he raised me. Whew. And then, oh, can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Well, when I was a young thing, well, I should say from like 18 to 22, I really didn't have an interest in that, an interest in just about everything else. But I'm thankful that uh, I have a big interest <laughs> in the Savior's blood now. And then what about my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and righteousness? We could go on and on. I saw one on, on um, my phone this morning from Casting Crowns, Loving He Loved Me. You can stop right there, but it goes on. It's beautiful. Dying, he carried my sins far away. Mm. Awesome things. So there are, there are people in the world, there might be people even here that really don't believe in the resurrection. And we can stand here and say it's an event that changed human history. It, it's a fact. You can look in history books that have nothing to do with the Bible, and you'll find that Jesus, Jesus lived. He was here. 
he was lived in. Do you know time is divided by when Jesus was here and when he wasn't here? We have B.C. and A.D. Where would that come up with if it really wasn't true? And we're not going to get in, into all of that, but um, the fact that he lived can't be disputed. What they think of him can be you know, discussed, but the fact that he came is history. And what is history but his story? Our history is based on when he came, before he came and after he came. And he'll come again. But for us as believers, it's the basis of our faith. It's the very cornerstone, and it's the proof of his deity. His tomb is still empty. If you wanted to go find Muhammad's tomb, you probably could find it. But he's still in there. His body is still in there. Buddha's body is still wherever it was. But Jesus' tomb is empty. Hallelujah. And I um, wanted to read, it's actually quite a long passage, from Isaiah 53, 52 and 53. Quite a long thing, and it's at the end. And it's interesting to note, this is in the Jewish, the Jewish scriptures, but they don't read it. I know I was raised Catholic, and in the Catholic Church, there's a portion of scripture every week, and in a missal, and in the Jewish services too, there's a portion of scripture every week, but they don't ever use this. And that's kind of interesting. Why don't they use it? <laughs> because it says, starting in Isaiah 52, 13 to uh, 15, behold my servant. This, uh, let me start by saying, or go back to say, this was 700 years before Jesus was born. 700 years. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, his visage was marred more than any man, meaning his face and his form more than the sons of men. So he shall sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told they shall see, and what had not been heard they should consider. Where it says, so they shall, he shall sprinkle many men, many nations. It also says he shall surprise them or shock them. But uh, when, they, when they beat Jesus, it took 39 stripes, and if they did a 40th one, it would have killed him right there. They were only allowed to give 39. And if you got whipped 39 times, I think your, your back or parts of your body would be pretty difficult to see. And the Bible also says, it says, a king shall shut their mouths at him. Doesn't it say, every knee shall bow, and every tongue will one day confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And going into chapter 53, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he will grow up as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we would desire desiring him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. 
the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who will declare his generation? He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. We could spend a day, a week, just studying this, but you see how seven years ago, how clearly God prophesied so many things about Jesus. And if you, if you understand your scripture and you read it on a regular basis, you'll see you know, all, all the ways, all the prophecies that came true. And if you have my favorite Bible, which is the New King James Spirit-filled Bible, on this page, Isaiah 53, it, it lists all of the prophecies that came through, came from this passage, all the things that came true about Jesus. It lists them all, and that would be another lesson, but I just wanted to read that so we get a sense of what Jesus went through for us. And as Christians, we think about that every day. Um, it's in our minds, but once a year, <laughs> or on a special day like today when we celebrate the actual fact that it happened, that we live in the generations where, where it happened. Can you imagine that the Jews for thousands of years were waiting for the Messiah? They were practicing what God told them to do. They were doing sacrifices for their sin over and over and over again, generation to generation to generation, and they didn't have the Messiah. He, wasn't, he hadn't come yet. We are a blessed people. We are living in a blessed age. And so what is the significance to us? Well, it's, it's everything. <laughs> it's everything to us. Jesus, you know, people that, um, that don't really believe in him would agree that he was a good man, that he was maybe a prophet, and that he was a good teacher. But that... That particular scenario of thinking about Jesus in that way doesn't fly because what did Jesus say? He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Um, and Jesus wouldn't be a good teacher if he was a liar, would he? You know? I think somebody wrote a book, Josh McDowell, Liar, Lunatic, or Lord of All. And we have to decide which one he is. I know, we all know that who he is, but 
Jesus' desire was um, to come in obedience to God. If you know, remember the story in, in the Old Testament way back with Adam and Eve. God created this beautiful garden. He wanted to have fellowship with them. He used to walk with them in the cool of the evening, and they had a great time together until their minds wandered. I don't know. Us don't do that, do they? <laughs> you know, he provided everything for them, and yet they let their mind believe something that wasn't true. The devil put a little thought in their head, and they ran with it, and we're paying the price. But, you know, if we were the ones there, we would have done it too. So we can't really blame them, but God provided. God told them way back then that he would provide a savior. We just happened to be blessed to be in the generation where, where it's happened, in the generations where it happens. And God, so in the Old Testament, God, God was setting up types of things. A type is something that points to the future, points to something that he was going to do. God always knew that he was going to send Jesus. He always knew Jesus was going to be the perfect sacrifice. He always knew Jesus was going to, but in the Old Testament, he set up the animal sacrifices. He set up ways to um, ritually be cleansed, but it wasn't, it wasn't enough. Um, and you think of, I think of some bright spots. I think of Moses and King David in all of the Old Testament characters, and there's a few others too, but that had really good relationships with God. David just cried out to God. David knew him. He talked about everything that was bothering him. He, worshiped, he was a worshiper. And I think you're a worshiper when you, you know who you're worshiping. You, know, you, don't, you can't worship a stone and get as excited as David did. David knew the one that he worshiped, and Moses too. God showed himself face to face to Moses. But anyway, um, going on to Jesus provided atonement. That's where we're really going today. What is the atonement about, and why? Why do we need it? Um, we could go to Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And its counterpart in Romans 6.23 says, But the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's it in a nutshell. And we could say, well, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I haven't done, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't. I haven't stolen or any of that, but God says, you know, we're all sinners. We all fall in the same category, and we need, we need Jesus. We need Jesus to make things right between us and God. And if you look at the word atonement, you could take it apart. We have this, I was called Barbara, our wordsmith. <laughs> you say at one you know, making us one with. Atonement, that's what it did. It makes us one. In the Old Testament, the animal sacrifices, they had to be without a spot or blemish. You couldn't have a lamb that was blind, or you couldn't say, which one am I going to sacrifice? Uh, that one's the least healthy. Let me sacrifice that. No, that wouldn't cut it with God. It had to be perfect. As far as the lamb could be perfect, it had to be perfect. You see, he was setting a type. You see, the one that was going to give his life for us had to be perfect and we're all sinners so we couldn't do it Leviticus um, 16 29 to 30 describes that a little bit and they, they did a particular cleansing of sin this shall be a statuette, statuette forever for you in the seventh month 
on the tenth day of the month you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native in your own country or a stranger who dwells with you. For on that day the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. And it goes on in, in 23, 27 to 28. Also the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls an offering, an offering made by fire, animal sacrifice. You shall do no work on that same day, for it is a day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. But they had to do that every year. Every year, you know. It, um, it wasn't going to last. And I remember as a young Catholic girl going to confession, and you walk out and you feel, ah, you feel clean ah, for a few minutes till so you get home and, you know, your brother hits you and you yell at him or, you know, <laughs> you punch someone, you know, <laughs> punch someone. I grew up in a big family. But anyway, in this, it, it's just that every year they had to go and that, that didn't change their heart. Sacrificing the animal didn't do anything on the inside for them. But Jesus was without sin. Actually, in John 129, uh, John the Baptist calls him, Behold the Lamb of God. Okay, we have a perfect lamb being sacrificed in the Old Testament. We have a perfect lamb, Jesus, the Lamb of God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 um, That's a deal that we, really, who gets the better half of that deal? He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. We trade our sin, we get God's righteousness. Mm. And if you want to read something, I'd say read all of chapter 9 of Hebrews. But in verse 11, I'm just going to share that one. Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having e obtained eternal redemption. It's not something that we have to do every year. We remember it on, on this Easter Resurrection Sunday. We think about it, but we think about it as believers every day. But he only had to sacrifice once. Once was all it took, shedding his blood once. Hebrews 9.14 goes on to say, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. One, just the blood of Christ. Once. In Hebrews 9.15, the second half of it, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. And there's there's a lot more. I'm not going to read all of um, 9, 23 to 28. I just underlined a portion. Um, because we have, we're in the new covenant, and Jesus is our high priest. Only once at the end of the age, he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. Thank you, Jesus. We need the atonement because, as I said, we're all sinners and death 
and separation from God are the punishment. Jesus provides the atonement. And I just want to, to talk briefly about, um, I think I have, I actually have six points of the atonement, not five. <laughs> it's not a five-point sermon, but it, it's also not long, but it's just some things to think about, about the atonement. What did Jesus accomplish for us in the atonement? Let's think about it. The debt has been satisfied. Think about it. Um, if you have probably the biggest debt anyone ever has is a mortgage on their home. Okay? If you're ever blessed enough to be able to pay it off, what a wonderful feeling it is to go to the register of deeds and say, give them their the last payment. They've been paid in full. Now I'll tell you, you're not going to mail them a check the next month. You, are you going to mail your mortgage company a check? No. The debt's been settled. And God, he's a God of law and justice. We owed him a debt. Jesus paid it. He was the only one who could pay it for us. He paid it in full. God isn't looking for you to pay it again. He's not looking for payment from you. You couldn't give him anything that would cover the cost. You wouldn't be able to cover it. He wants your heart. That's what you can give him. But the debt's been paid in full. It's crossed out. Okay? You do not owe anything for your sin. Jesus paid it for you. Okay? A second part of the atonement is God gave us, through Jesus' sacrifice, direct access to God. Do you remember what happened? Sometimes you can read the stories of Holy Week and you can lose some parts of it. But when Jesus died, see that, that curtain up there? Just picture that curtain going from the ceiling all the way to the floor. None of us could reach up there and rip that curtain. But the curtain in the temple was ripped from the top to the bottom. Um, nobody could, no human could do that. And at the same time, there was a huge earthquake and dead believers came out of the grave. We don't really hear so much about that when we think about the Gospels, but that's what happened. Uh, that was pretty dramatic. <laughs> you think? You think people are like, what just happened in our world, you know? If, I think if the cemetery down the street opened and everyone came out of it, it would be quite a shock. It would be quite a shock. And uh, that's what happened in their day. So when I say it's historically provable fact, these stories are in history. And why was the veil or the, why was that rent ripped in two? It's because Jesus provided the access directly to God. You see in the Old Testament when the priest went in, once he, the once a year time, that's when they put bells on his, attached to his clothes, because if he went in there and did something wrong, he could be struck dead by God. But now Jesus has made the way that we can go directly in. And that's quite a mindset change. Quite a mindset change for us. And I lost my place. Where am I? <laughs> oh, Hebrews 4.16. It says, come boldly. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. We don't have to cow in to say, I think I'll kind of sneak in here and see if God will talk to me and I'll see if that bat's going to come down on my head. We don't have to do that. The enemy would like us to think that we do. But Jesus 
has given us access, direct access. I, you know, that is an, just an amazing thing that the veil was rent in two and it symbolizes that we can come in freely. And there's a big word that the atonement provided too and that's propitiation. Jesus is our propitiation. It's a big word but basically it means a substitution. He was the substitution that was fitting. You see, not any sacrifice was fitting, but he was, he was the fitting sacrifice and the substitution. And I found some really good information from a man who used to teach in like the 50s, in the 1950s. And he said, the secret of God's satisfaction lied in the character of the one who paid the debt for sinners, that only Jesus. You know, there's several scriptures that talk about Jesus being the propitiation there. You know, they, you can put them up as we, First John 2, 2, he is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but for the whole world. And First John 4, 10, here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. First John 3, 5, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sin and in him is no sin. And as we, we said before, the Old Testament sacrifice was a lamb without a blemish. Jesus was the lamb of God, sinless without a spot or blemish. So Jesus was our substitute. It's part of the atonement. And another aspect of the atonement is reconciliation. And what does that mean? I just looked it up online. I took an online definition to restore a right relationship with someone. Reconciliation. Romans 5.10 said, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And Colossians 1.21 says, And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. And before we were saved, I don't know about you, but I, I kind of didn't want to know what, what the word said. I didn't really want to know uh, what, what the rules were. Didn't really want to know because I didn't want to do it. I was a rebellious young woman. I didn't want to do the things that I knew were in the book. But I'm thanking God, because I once was alienated. I was an enemy in my mind to God. God wasn't God didn't look at me that way. He loved me when he was hoping that the light would dawn someday. He wasn't there with the ship. You know, I needed to be reconciled to him. He didn't do anything wrong in the relationship. It was me. Because I did walk with the Lord as a younger, as a child, and in my early teens, but I walked away for a few years. And I'm so thankful for his mercy in bringing me back. Can you imagine how grieved he must have been with everything he provided for us. He provided it all. He provided, he wants us to live a really blessed, blessed life. He wants us to have a fellowship with him like he's our Abba Daddy. We can climb on his lap. We can be close to him. We can talk to him. And we don't want it. You know, when we're not saved, we don't want that. We want nothing. We just think he's that God with the hammer or the bat. He really only wants good for us. But what does 
I'd say read all of Romans chapter 8, but what does verse 1 say? There is therefore now what? No condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That means no condemnation. So when we come to him, it's all wiped away. The veil has been ripped. We can freely go in. And I just thought, wow, um, what we missed. Because you see, just like the devil was lying to Eve in the garden that uh, God didn't want her to have the good stuff, you know, the devil lies to us and says, being a Christian isn't any fun. Why would you want to be a Christian, you know? Read the Bible, go to church. Why do you want to do that? You know, and he lies to us to keep us from having the best relationship that can be in the whole world. You know, you can have friends, you can have a wonderful spouse, but there's a relationship that we need that far surpasses any, any in, in the world, and it can be such an intimate relationship. Why would we not want that? So to improve our relationship wasn't God that had to change, it was us. So if you will draw us out. And the atonement, I, I found some really interesting things about this other aspect of the atonement, it is redemption. You know, I think Rachel was telling me she, she does some volunteer work and she was taking a whole bunch of cans to be redeemed. You know, you take them to the grocery store, put them in the machine, they give you money for them. And uh, it's kind of the, the dictionary definition for redemption is the act of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing of a debt. God, uh, God not only, he only accepts Jesus as the payment of our debt, but he gets us back. Jesus paid the debt and God gets us back. He was yours, someone stole him. I'm thinking about, okay, think of you have a child, your child gets kidnapped and you get a call and they say, well, the ransom is whatever, pay the ransom and you can come and redeem your child. Well, of course you're going to do that. You're gonna do everything you can to get your child back. Um, and for us, the enemy deceived us and we fell into his trap. But Jesus came to get us back. Matthew 20, 28 says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, right? A ransom for many. He redeemed us, he paid the price and he got us back. And I know there's this, this um, nasty programs on computers now called ransomware. You probably know about ransomware. Someone can get into one of your programs, hack it, mess it up, and then you have to pay them to get it back. And I think that's actually what happened to my QuickBooks on my computer at home. When I called QuickBooks, they gave me this long name for it. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm not paying somebody to get it back. <laughs> How did they get in there in the first place? But it was a ransomware, and you have to pay to get it back. Um, God paid to get us back from the devil. And to him, we were, it was worth sending his only son to die for us. It was worth that. But I, I found some other interesting things about redemption. And this same gen gentleman named Lehman Strauss who was a preacher in the 50s, as I said. This is what he says about redemption. He said, well, first, we were reconciled to God. That's, that solves the problem of the sinner, but redemption undertakes the solution of the problem of sin. 
right? And he, there were several different aspects of redemption. When we see those scriptures that I read about redemption, they use three different words in the New Testament. So imagine this. Um, one, one word is agarazo, and it means to purchase in the market. So picture us before we're saved, and we're, we're in a slave market. This whole bus, bus down here. There's demons all around, and the devil's trying to, trying to sell you to someone who's going to abuse you. And God comes in and says, no, I'm, I'm going to take that one. I'm taking that one. And he takes you out of the market. You're off the market now. You're off that market. You're off the enemy's market when you get saved. Takes you out of the market. And the other aspect of being purchased is called exagorazo, to purchase out of the... You're, he took you out, but now he purchases you. He takes care of you out of there. Um, he didn't just save you from the enemy and take you out of the slave market. He became, as in the story of Ruth, he became our kinsman redeemer. He's going to do everything he can to help us. He's not just rescuing us from the fire. He's going to take us and purify us. He's going to take us and do his work in us. He's going to really redeem us. He's going to change our hearts. Um, we've been in bondage to sin, but we don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. You know that song, I'm no longer a slave of fear? We could just put in, I'm no longer a slave to sin. Because when he puts us in his property, we are no longer a slave to the enemy. Sometimes we don't know it. And we still fall to the enemy's tricks. But he has put us in a better place. He has redeemed us as our kinsman redeemer. And the third meaning, or the third aspect of redemption, the third wo Greek word is lutru, L-U-T-R-O-O. And it means that the one who has been redeemed has also been loosed and set free. And I was like, wow, Lord. Whew. Not only did he, he saved us, he took us out of the enemy's camp, but he promises to free us from the stuff that holds us on the inside. So I think, uh, wow, that's an awesome aspect of the atonement. And then the last aspect, although I'm sure there are many more, is physical healing is part of the atonement. And there are some parts in Christianity at large that don't believe that. They don't believe that healing is for today. However, in that verse in Isaiah, it says, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, in Isaiah 53, 5, and by his stripes, we are healed. We are healed. We have Jesus' DNA. First Peter says, 2.24 says, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. It's a done deal. It's a done deal. And we don't always see it. We don't understand. Sometimes we struggle with a physical issue. And probably everyone in this room might have something that they're going through, a little physical. Maybe it's just a little physical difficulty. Maybe it's a long-term thing. But we know Jesus is our healer. In the Old Testament, it says, who heals. It doesn't say some of your disease. It doesn't say all. He heals all of our diseases, all of them. And... Uh, 3 John 2 says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health. 
even as your soul prospereth. So it's God's desire for us to be healed. And when Jesus was going to the cross, he, he said, very, or even after, I forget, this John 14, 12, Verily, verily, I say to you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. And Jesus is saying there, we could look at Jesus' life as what he wants for us to have. And Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were sick. That's what he did. He healed. Jesus healed, set people free, and preached the gospel to them. And he said, we will do those same things, and we'll do even more, because we, he only had three years, and he did amazing things. And Mark 16, 17 says, these signs shall follow them that believe. And you know what that goes on to say. Heal it, you know, set them free from demons and heal them. So as these are only some of the aspects of the atonement, our deaths been satisfied. We have direct access to God as a result. Jesus is our substitute, our propitiation. We have been fully reconciled to God. We have been redeemed. God bought us back. He bought us back. And God provided for our physical healing. Those are all parts of the atonement. And I love the scripture. We, re we read this week all about the, the, the Holy Week from Hosanna when he came in into the city on the donkey through the, the Last Supper through the Garden of Gethsemane, to the, before Herod and all of those, to the cross. But when he was on the cross, John 19.30 says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, what did he say? It is finished. And then he bowed his head and kneeled with his spirit to God. It is finished. The cross has accomplished everything that we need today, tomorrow, and the next day. There's nothing more that God needs to do that he didn't already provide. What may need to happen is that we may need to appropriate and remember some of the things that God did for us. Everything pertaining to our salvation. And we, we have to receive those benefits. And the enemy can lie to you and can especially lie to us if we don't understand what Jesus has provided. So I hope this helped today to bring some of those things back to memory, back to memory. And maybe you never acknowledged the sacrifices Jesus made for you. And if you've never done that, what better day than Easter to say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me on the cross. Thank you for providing redemption. Thank you for reconciling me with God. I don't have to be afraid of him, that he loves me and he wants me back. And if that's you, see one of us after the service and we can pray with you. But otherwise, I just pray you have a wonderful rest of your day. Enjoy whatever you have planned today with family, friends, etc. And God bless you. Amen.